Greetings, greetings. It's an honor to be with you today. Today I'm here with a message entitled The Heart of Worship. That's right. We're talking about the heart of worship today. You know, I find it ironic that worship is one of my favorite topics. Thought you should let that marinate. <laughs> A minute because as you know I'm not a worship leader in so many words but worship is one of my favorite topics to delve in when it comes to the Word of God now I believe it's probably because I believe a preacher of the gospel is one of the greatest worshipers that should exist and I say that should exist because I believe every message should be a preacher's worship experience unto his God in other words I believe the words have the ability to allow that preacher to use that opportunity to give glory and honor to Jesus I, I truly believe that and and I and it is my prayer that for every message that you will hear me deliver you hear God being glorified if you don't get anything else from it ladies and gentlemen that's my ultimate goal is to glorify Jesus I just want him to be glorified and if that quote is met, then I've done my part. So today we're going to talk about the heart of worship. And um, I, I have it broke, broken down in segments. And uh, we're going to get to it. Let's get to it. Segment one. Place or presence. Now, we live in a time where people basically have preferences when it comes to worship it may be hard to believe but I'll break it down for you to prove my point there are people that prefer to get their worship on in a particular place and if that need or desire for that place isn't met then they feel they can't worship for example there are some people that can only worship in the church building let's go a little deeper there are some people that can only worship in a particular church building so it means that if worship is not being carried out in the church that they attend or are a member of they won't be able to worship freely and that may sound crazy but check it out ask your friends and family which is what I'm talking about and there may be some particulars that make it so maybe they favor a certain praise team so if that praise team isn't singing because normally a praise team for the most part is attached to a specific fellowship so if that praise team ain't singing if that drum ain't beating and the list goes on keyboardists ain't playing they can't worship so all of that would constitute place there are some people that have to have the place narrowed down ladies and gentlemen to get their worship on 
<laughs> now next is presence. Now the presence has to do with the presence of God, which is not limited by by place or space, worship leader, or any other add-in. The only thing that this person needs is the presence of God. And the way I understand it according to the Word of God is that we have His presence via the Holy Ghost living in us. So we're going to discover by the Word of God, which we're going to delve into in a second, that this person is the true worshiper. And I have a story that you're familiar with that basically is a story of worship. I mean, you may get other things out of it. It's probably been preached for different reasons. But one, if there was one thing that I get out of this story, is that it's a story of worship. And I'm in St. John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. And it says, Our fathers worship in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, Believe me, that hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So, Jesus, in this story, if you picked it up yet, is talking to the Samaritan woman, who is in actuality, if you don't know what a Samaritan is, they are a half-Jew, and basically, they are an ostracized people, or were an ostracized people in the time of the Lord and if you can remember the the disciples made a thing about Jesus even chatting with this woman because they don't even talk to these people they are outcasts but the amazing thing about the Samaritans although they are an outcast people they claim their lineage from Jacob the well that Jesus met this woman at was actually a well that Jacob did or dig sorry so they're children of Jacob so it's amazing that they're outcasts right like I said they're half-breed Jews so they're discussing you remember the discourse Jesus asked for the woman for some water and we're gonna get into that and it takes off and this is one of the meat of the stories they started to talk about the mountain now we're gonna get into the mountain because the Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the place of worship. They believed that this mountain that was there in Samaria was a, was a place that they should worship. Now, I want you to see Jesus' response though. And you have to see that surely he was not only God in the, in the flesh, but he was out of this world. Because think about it now. A Jew... Him being a Jew, the Jews would expect for him to reiterate their doctrine, their belief. But I want you to see what he says, and I'm going to read it again. It says, Jesus said unto a woman, Believe me, that I will come at when ye shall neither in this mountain nor, at, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, the Jews believe that their mountain, or in Jerusalem, at the temple, sorry, was the place to worship. And now for both parties, they basically 
are right in their own respect because the Samaritans believe one thing. You know, they're holding to that place thing. You know, both parties, if you look at it, the, the Samaritans are holding to, hey, Jerusalem is the place. The Jews are holding to, hey, the temple is the place. And Jesus is saying, guess what? In a minute, you're going to find out that it ain't about a place because you're going to worship the Father neither at Jerusalem or at this mountain or in Jerusalem. So right there, he's pointing out that worship is bigger than any place. I wonder if somebody would catch this because you may be one of those people that have to have the conditions just right in order for you to give God the glory. Even though now I must throw in this, this uh, short truth that your one hour, two hour service is just a moment of thanksgiving and reflection with the people of God. It isn't the bulk of your story. Your life ought to be a worship unto God. But so much, in so many cases, we isolate our worship to just two hours. And then we tend to do whatever we want with our lives. But I'm here to tell somebody that God is not interested in just a two-hour hallelujah. But he wants a life of his people giving him the glory. Because if you opt for just a two-hour or how many times you go to church for a week, you can go to church seven days per week. But if the rest of your life is lived in chaos and outside of the presence of God, I'm here to tell you that that is strict religion. And that, and that there is not relationship. God wants a relationship with you that broadens beyond those four walls or wherever you go to shout your lungs out okay so right there in segment one Jesus is establishing that this is not about a place or a space but this is about being locked away tucked away lost in God's pavilion which is not a place made that with hands, by the way. It's his presence, and we should all strive for it. Okay, so we're going to move on to segment two. It's going to take us a little deeper. Segment two is entitled False Worshippers. Oh, yeah. Segment two is entitled False Worshippers. Let's read St. John 4, 22 to 23. It says, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So Jesus takes it another level now, and he's saying, look here, although we're here fighting over place, it's bigger than place and space, and then he says, another notch that you've got going against you is that you are worshiping, but you don't know who you're worshiping. Oh man, this right here is profound. This right here is profound. And I believe our Lord's basis for what he's saying to the woman is, okay, you understand that even from um, way back in the wilderness tabernacle the people worshipped at the temple it was the place where God met his people you know so 
all of this thing about worshiping God originated with the Jews. You're now a people that are secluded and outcast people. And basically you're trying to, I guess, base your your worship off of your inheritance with Jacob, but you're missing some key elements. Which I believe Jesus was trying to tell this woman was the temple. The temple was essential to worship. So if you're missing the temple, you're missing some other things, right? You're missing the priests, which were the ones that did the ultimate worship to God under the law. Alright? Everything went to the priests. But now Jesus is telling the woman, look here, I'm getting ready to institute a New Testament in my blood. He didn't say this, of course, but when we look back on it, we understand that this is what Jesus was introducing. He says, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And here is the kicker. He says, but thou will come at an hour is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, you have to understand now. Before our Lord entered the scene, worship in so many words was not based on spirit and in truth. Although it, it had its elements in spirit and in truth, it was not really an individual thing. It was a collective thing. And the priests, they were the ones that spearheaded the worship of the people. Okay, but now Jesus is saying, guess what? Worship is getting ready to be a personal thing, a thing of the heart. It's, it's getting ready to be a communion with God and his people, an intimate communion that goes beyond walls, that goes beyond places or spaces or, or outward sacrifices. And why was it getting ready to be that? Because God is seeking these type of worshipers. Now, so here's the thing now. There are two elements that Jesus mentioned that are the gist of this old story. And they are spirit and truth. Now, the scripture tells us, and Jesus is getting ready to tell this woman, and I feel that I have to mention this, just as a reminder, I'll try not to jump ahead of myself, but you have to understand something about God. God is a spirit. Right there is telling us now. We at our cores now, of course, our spirit, but we dwell in a carnal, fleshy body. Why is that important to mention? It's important to mention because although at our cores we are spirit, this flesh body, which houses a soul, as it's as they you know they come together it we tend to lean to our feelings and our emotions and our rationale rather than consider what god wants and basically what jesus was saying to the woman is that worship has more to do about what god requires than what you prefer or what your preference is. Okay, we're gonna break down the, the spirit and truth debate in the next two segments, but I figured I'd give you that. Worship the two categories that 
please God. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. There are some things that God has instituted and our worship to him is reflected in how we respond to those things. It's like, for example, if I tell you, I like, I love coffee, by the way. If I tell you I like my coffee with, um, let's just say cream and some sweetener, right? Whichever sweetener there is, because they're all sugar, right? And you come and you bring me a cup of black coffee. You brought me coffee, right? But the truth is you didn't bring it the way I like it. So am I gonna like it? You may say, man, minister, I brought you coffee. You said you like coffee, but I told you some specifics about the coffee. So I'm not gonna like black coffee because I don't like it. And I think we have to look at worship in that term. There's some things God has said we shouldn't do, and there's some things we should do. And quite often we leave it up to our feelings and our emotions and our, you know, what we like. And we tend to treat God on that basis. And what we find out is our worship is unacceptable. All right. So let's go into the next two segments. Segment three is spirit. All right. Listen to St. John 4 verse 23. It says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship it. So spirit is actually like the requirement says in the spirit. So it means you're worshiping God in the spirit and not in the flesh. If I were to use a term so that we can make this understandable. The flesh has an agenda and the spirit has an agenda. And the spirit in this case I'm talking about is the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. So right away, we have a very important criteria. In order to truly worship God, you need the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Ghost, you can't truly worship God. And I will use for an example. I remember growing up, we had these hand pumps and in times like now it's springtime and in the summer these pumps would go dry because of the heat so what you would need to do in order to get water out of them you would have to get a cup of water from outside from inside and you would have to pour down this pump and you would have to prime it and you would find out that because of the priming it's like water would meet water and it's like as a result the water would gush forth. I don't know the old science about it, but I remember as a young boy doing it, the pump would be dry like the desert and you would get that cup of water and you pour it down there and you pump for a couple of minutes and before you know it, the whole stream would come gushing out. So what am I actually saying? You know, the scripture says deep, call it onto deep because of the, the water spouts. And, I, and what I'm saying is we have within this earthen vessels the living water and that living water calls for the fountain if you get what I'm saying that Holy Ghost within us it's the mediator that mediates to God for us because he knows what God desires so even when we don't know the Spirit makes intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered and that's why it's important to to yield to the Spirit of God, but you can't yield to something that you don't have. 
I want to say that again, you can yield to something you don't have. So without this first important requirement, sorry, you can truly worship God in spirit. Because in order to worship him in spirit, you've got to have the spirit. Another indication that you have the spirit is this. This carnal body oftentimes doesn't feel like it. And I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're sick. Sometimes this is going on, that is going on. And these natural happenings now, you get tired. This It's natural for this body to get tired, for it to get sick. All of these things happening in this flesh, if we give in to those, we will find ourselves never worshiping. Think of, I want you to think about it. Think about the even the place or space argument. You know, the needs of this flesh aren't being met right now. Right now, your flesh is in anguish. So, is that a reason for you not to worship? The, the natural person would say, yeah, man, I mean, I don't feel well. But the scripture says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I want you to just let that digest for a moment. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So, it means that when you don't feel joyous, when you don't feel well, Everything that you need is in the presence of the Lord. How do we know that? Because the Lord indwelleth the praises of his people. So he doesn't. And so it means that we've got to rise above what the flesh is saying. The flesh may say, man, we sick, so let's sit down today. We tired, so let's not. But the truth is, that is not going to help you to get what you need from God. And, and it's not going to be a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when you rise above your feelings and emotions and say, you know what? God has been too good for me to keep quiet. I'm going to shout. I'm going to sing. And there are many that have testified that when they rise above the flesh and enter into the spirit where we know that there's no sickness, there's no lack, there is no want to them that love him. They find out that they feel better and everything is like it's like a miracle takes place. Because it's truly supernatural. Because our worship is not based on our condition or situation. So that that is what it is to worship in the spirit. It's not really the falling about the place and licking down of the chairs. And all of that stuff. That can be seen as confusion. But what truly worshiping in spirit is. Is not allowing your present circumstances. There are people that come to say a worship experience. Or they have a life of turmoil going on. And to the average person. That would, de that would um, basically spell depression and oppression. You know these ills that are taking place in their lives. Would actually silence them. It would silence their praise and their thankfulness toward God. But the people that understand that these situations are just temporary, they are the ones that mount up with wings as eagles. They in, they in turn tend to uh, run and they're not weary and walk and not faint because they've decided that they're going to press into the Lord. The scripture says the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. There are some things we find ourselves having to press in to receive from the hand of God. 
and we do that in the spirit because in this flesh dwelleth no good thing but we trust that once we get into his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand their pleasures forevermore but you got to get into his presence ladies and gentlemen it's not just happenstance you've got to push your way into his presence so the last segment we're going to get into is truth and this is just as important as spirit because these two marry together to give us the perfect recipe in worshiping god so truth saint john chapter 4 verse 24 says god is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth now the thing about it is now here's how truth works truth is knowledge truth is not only the possession of the knowledge but the application of it for example if you know like i said earlier with the coffee example that i love cream and sweetener and you bring to me a cup of black coffee it means that you disregarded the whole truth i like coffee but i like it a certain way and i think where we get into trouble is we ignore the truth of uh what God has required. Matthew 6, I believe, is a perfect chapter in the New Testament that outlines what God requires when it comes to worship. Okay? So, so what is truth? Truth is in accordance to what God requires. You'll find out, and I'll give you some summary of Matthew 6. We won't go directly into it today. But when we understand truth from the perspective of what God requires and not what you require, what does God require when it comes to worship? First of all, when we consider prayer, prayer is an act of worship, God requires that we don't do vain babbling. What is a vain babbling? Something we heard somebody say, and you know, it sounds good. You know, it's just cliche. So I'll just throw it in the mix, you know, because hey, it makes my prayer sound so seasoned. God doesn't like that stuff. And according to Matthew 6, what was another thing according to prayer that God doesn't like? He doesn't like vain babblings, vain repetitions, and he prefers prayer in our closets or the secret place. In other words, God's preference for prayer is an isolated thing. Prayer does not have to be like the scripture says on street corners or you standing up in the synagogue so people can see you and say, oh, well, that's a boy. He can pray. Eh? She can pray. Eh? No, prayer is, it, it shouldn't be something that draws attention to yourself. What prayer is, is a conversation between God and his people. And it's a sacred thing so we when especially since we're talking about worship here we've got to understand that these articles of worship are sacred so we can't just take our carnal understanding and mishandle these things and say well god will accept it because you know god has specifics that we've got to follow another we're talking about matthew 6 another one is uh uh, fasting not in any particular order 
he says don't be like the hypocrites who like to make up their faces and they like to basically show to the outward that they're fasting he says when you fast anoint your head and basically carry on business as usual people don't need to know that you're on a 21 day fast that ain't their business it's actually between you and god now there are some instances where you're doing a corporate fast that include others where you would want to share that information so that everybody can be on one accord but other than that a fast is supposed to be an intimate thing between you and your god so these are things we've got to watch out for it shouldn't be a point of bragging or boasting because it's sacred it should be a point of humility and secrecy and secrecy between you and your god okay another one another act of giving oh sorry another act of worship because we're talking about truth now is giving now giving has many forms but all forms basically fall under this guideline giving is supposed to be a thing of letting not your right hand know what your left hand is doing on the opposite don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing it's supposed to be a sacred thing and think about it how close is your left hand to your right hand they are on the same body so if god is saying look here let your giving be done in secret it means nobody needs to know about your giving unless they are intricately a, a part of it let me tell you how uh, serious this thing is it's all in matthew 6 by the way i'm just paraphrasing it he says if you do your gifts or you give your arms before men um and they and they are he says you have your reward in other words and i'm going to give you an uh, example of that there are many people that do it just for the kicks that do it just for the applause and the praise so they do it so that people can say oh way to go oh he gave them money or he gave them this and people say way to go and basically when people do that god considers your giving or he considers your reward rather the applause of people in other words god is not going to bless you beyond what people have done because here's the criteria for true giving he says what your father sees in secret he will reward you openly so if he sees in secret that means nobody knows right but if everybody around you is singing your praises you have nullified your reward with god and now the praises that the people are singing it's on to you and that's your reward because see why is it not worship to god it's not worship to god because the people aren't singing god's praises they're singing yours but if you had done it in secret then it would have been a worship from you to god now you see how this thing works that's why we've got to be careful with this outward giving because it's dangerous we assume the worship on ourselves and some would say i know but i'm telling you it's all in the in the chronicles of god's truth in his word so watch the scenario if you give and you do it in a way that people lord the praises on you 
God won't reward you because those people praising you is your reward. So the buck stops there. But if you do your giving in a way that nobody knows, and that's whatever giving you want to talk about, giving in a church or fellowship in, in the establishment or giving somebody a cup of water on the street or money or whatever, whatever deed you do that's supposed to be unto the Lord, if you do it in secret, God will get the glory because it's a worship from you to God and now God will reward you openly. There will be supernatural provision. In other words, you will be able to attest to it because you know that you didn't tell nobody. You just went and you did your good deed and now God sees it and says, okay, now I'm going to cause it to come from the east, the west, north, and the south. He's going to cause men to give into your bosom. So you see the difference? But it all has to do with the secrecy of the thing. If we understand how sacred worship is, we've got to tread the reign of worship carefully and considering the spirit of the matter. What does God require? What is God's truth? What is his word saying? in regard to our worship unto him because we can do a lot of things in the name of God but it not be for the honor and glory of God. Now I've got one more example to give you all the way from Leviticus 10 and I'm going to paraphrase this a bit now because I want you to read your Bible yourself. <laughs> That's the main reason I'm doing that but I want to paraphrase this one and I'm in, I've, I've, I've entitled this one Strange Fire. Strange Fire. Now, when God via Moses unto Aaron and his sons instituted worship in the, New in the Old Testament under the law, one of the things that got the ball rolling was the fire of God that he used to light the brazen altar. Now, if there's one thing that we know about worship is that it's it's a thing of sacrifice that's what true worship is and all the way in the Old Testament God was trying to teach his people that and he's taught us that that worship is a thing of sacrifice it's gonna cost you so God had lit the fire of the brazen altar fire came from God and he lit the fire and I'm saying that over and over because I want you to get it the instructions were that you were to not light the altar of incense um, on anything in the tabernacle with any other fire but the fire of the brazen altar. I want you to get this now. So you were the like the menorah if you were to light the altar of incense or anything in that tabernacle that fire had to come from the brazen altar which symbolized the fire of God now here's where um, Aaron's sons went wrong and this is how he lost them because the Bible says that they took their senses and we don't know where this fire came from I don't know they didn't have matches back then or lighters but somehow these fellas <laughs> took fire in their senses and they came to offer that to God. And ladies and gentlemen, 
the fire of God consume them. Now, many may look at that and say, oh boy, God don't play now. God, you know, God call now. But you have to understand that these were his priests. These were the Levites that he had entrusted with his worship. So the onus was on them to pay attention to detail because under the law, it's a time of judgment also. If you, if you were in a, if you were found guilty of the law, you were judged, ladies and gentlemen. Under grace, now we get away some, God gives us some space under grace. But under the law, when you messed up, you were judged. And these men of God were judged and it cost them everything because they disobeyed the cardinal rule. They disobeyed the foundation of worship, which was every fire. Whatever you, whenever you lighten something in this tabernacle, you get the fire from the brazen altar. They went and they got some other fire from someplace else. And that is considered strange fire. And as a result of them offering that to God, they were killed. So that day, Aaron lost two sons one time. It's in Leviticus 10 if you want to see it. So why is this important? It's important because we've got to understand that when we take something that God hasn't required and we take it and we try to offer it to him, we've got to understand that it's strange fire and God will not receive it. Not because you figure I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart and I'm doing it unto God makes it okay. You've got to understand and I'm going to use for the last time I promise my coffee illustration. If I tell you I like coffee with cream and sweetener, you bringing me a cup of black coffee is not going to do and I'm just a natural man. Imagine God. God is saying, don't give me any strange fire. Don't give me any polluted sacrifices. Things offered to idols. Now under the New, under the New Testament, under grace, we pray for everything, especially the things that we consume. So now it is sanctified with the word of God and prayer. Under the law, they couldn't eat things offered to idols. But under grace now, you see how the dispensation has changed? But notice what sanctifies it. Not me or you. It's the word of God and prayer. So when we, when we do or follow the commandments of God, then are we truly true worshipers of Him. So I, I just want to encourage you. It's time to get back to the heart of worship, ladies and gentlemen. I, you know, it's not just good to just do things out of our own feelings and ambitions. But if we want to know what God requires, what does the Lord require for us to live justly and to live soberly with us, with Him? What does He require? How do we find out what He requires? We have to get into His Word. It, it ain't no rocket science now. In order for you to know what God requires from you, especially... In the conversation of worship, you've got to get into his word. So I want to encourage us today, even as we move forward, it's time to get back into the word of God. 
and his truth will lead us and guide us into guess what more truth and i'm so thankful today that he has given us his spirit of truth okay be encouraged blessings on you